0: So here's my sermon um, theme for this week. Again, Living Between the Advents of Christ, part part two. And here's how we're going to break this sermon apart this morning. Um, We have three things that we're going to look at this morning. Living Between the Advents of Christ. We're going to look at the warning that Paul provides. Do not quench the Spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a prayer to be blameless for the day of Christ's coming and a blessing. The grace is upon you until... Uh, you meet him. His grace is upon you until we meet him in glory. Let's begin with the first point, a warning. Paul now moves in our our text to a a negative command. He's very positive, beginning in the verses before it, but now he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit's fire. It's like this picture of someone dousing a campfire. Maybe you've done this before Um, at a a campsite, before you leave the campsite, you throw on a bit of water so that the bush doesn't burn when you leave. I hope you do that. That's just proper protocol here in Northern, or in, in, in Ontario, at least. Paul says, don't do that to the Holy Spirit, though. Don't extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit that's at work in you. You see, the Holy Spirit is at work to try to warm, you could say, our hearts in a powerful way by showing you how much Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit helps us that with that. The Spirit's fire is to quicken our spirit and convict, of us, convict us of our sins so that we put our faith solely in Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit's helping us do. This fire to the Spirit is to impart joy and hope and life to us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So don't quench that work. As he's trying to build your faith and make you holy before God. Don't quench that. You see, in the time of Paul, before the Bible was, what you would say, canonized, before the Bible was completed, they didn't have what we know as the New Testament during the time of Paul. So, because they didn't have all the New Testament letters written yet, the Holy Spirit was working in a powerful way through prophetic words, sharing his the re- revealed will of God through prophecy. So you could say in many ways the apostles were prophets. They were proclaiming the mystery of Jesus Christ to people, which was later recorded for us and now put into a, a book. So God spoke through the apostles. God spoke through a man, a gentleman named Agabus, who was a prophet who, who foretold the things that were to come, the things of a, a great famine that was to happen, something that was going to happen to Paul. Agabus said, you know, The Holy Spirit has spoken to me, Uh, this is going to happen to you, watch out, Apostle, you're going to (laughs) die. The Holy Spirit spoke through a man named Philip, we know, because it says this in Acts, I think, 21, that Philip was the evangelist, and the Holy Spirit not only spoke through Philip the father, but Philip had four beautiful daughters, and the Holy Spirit spoke through the four beautiful daughters. They were also prophetesses. The Holy Spirit was speaking through this prophetic way. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, these words. He says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people from their, for their encouragement, for their strength and comfort. For the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting God's people. So the Holy Spirit had particular work before the Bible was closed, canonized, you could say, to make sure that people knew God's will for their life. And what we have in the Bible is a beautiful example of, of someone who spoke a prophetic word to his people. And his people were called not to quench that word, not to deny it. And the people that I'm talking about are Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph came to the temple, had no idea that they would meet Simeon, this prophet. No idea. But Luke wants to make it very, very clear that the that this man named Simeon was not just walking and doing things according to his own will. That he was actually walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So if you read this text now from from Luke chapter 2 verse 25, it says this time, three times the Holy Spirit's mentioned. He was waiting for the consolation, which is the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Luke wants us to know, the author of this gospel, that the Holy Spirit was on, in, Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before, this, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Second time, the Holy Spirit's involved in his life. And thirdly, now, he shows up this day, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple's courts. The Holy Spirit was revealing to Mary and Joseph that this man, this, sorry, this little baby, Jesus, is going to be the light to the Gentiles. A prophecy from Isaiah 49, verse 6. This little baby Jesus is going to be the glory of Israel. This little baby Jesus is going to be the one who causes the rising and falling of Israel. See, you can't be passive when it comes to Christ. Either you're going to love him and follow him, or you're going to deny him. And that truth runs throughout history. Everyone in this world is making a decision around Jesus. Is he the true God? Are you going to follow him? That's the rising, or are you going to is it going is Jesus going to cause you to stop? Stumble. Seeming like this is gonna happen. Finally, he would pierce Mary's heart. The time that the sword pierced him on the cross to prove that he was dead sent a shocking s- spear into the heart of Mary, you can imagine. And guess what? Mary and Joseph received these words and pondered them in their hearts. So Paul says, Paul says in these words, he says, Do not quench the spirit. And do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them though. So we have this beautiful word from the Holy Spirit. Spoken through weak agents. Yes. And so that's why Paul says now, whenever you get a word through a weak agent, you need to test it. Is this of God? Because there are those who prophesy even today but they're agents of the devil, you have to understand. You can find them on YouTube, on TikTok, and sadly on pulpits around this world. They're not messengers of the Holy Spirit. like what the Anglican theologian John Stott has once said. He says, wherever God establishes a church, the devil erects a chapel. Whenever the Holy Spirit brings a true prophetic word upon the scene of history... The devil deceives, deceiver presents his false prophets to undermine that word. This is the battle that we're in even to this day. Now, granted, we live in a different time than the church of Thessalonica in this day. The Church of Thessalonica, as I said, did not have the full letters and all the letters completed and written in fine form and compiled in a book called the Bible, and that's now a closed book. No, they didn't have that closed book yet. So they had to test the spirits for the prophecies that were coming their way. We believe today the Holy Spirit has spoken to us through Christ. This is now enclosed on the pages of Scripture. So that scripture, not prophecies, has supreme authority now in the church of Jesus Christ. We wait on this. Not for for people to come to us with a prophetic word. We wait on this book now. It's fine. It's done. But the warning is still ours to adhere to. The warning to test the spirits is still ours to hold on to. And that means this. that, That the spirit... That the Spirit, when he speaks to us today, is really only going to ever speak what comes from this word. But listen, when I take this word and share it with you off this pulpit, I have what you call a prophetic ministry with you. Not the same type. What I'm doing is taking the revealed word of God, which was spoken by the Holy Spirit. God breathed, we realize, from 2 Timothy 3. God breathed, but we take this word and share it with other people. As we do this, we have a prophetic role. You you all have that as followers of Christ. You are prophets, priests, and kings as followers of Jesus. And every single time you confess Jesus' name, you're playing the role of a prophet with your friends, with your peers, with your neighbor, in the church, in your small group, wherever it is. Therefore, you have to test the spirits. You have to make sure that what I'm saying to you this morning is in accordance with God's holy word. And when you go on YouTube, and when you go on TikTok, and when you go on people's blogs, and they undermine Jesus, and they undermine the truth of God's word. You test that. It's very interesting. One of the first tests when it comes to seeing whether this person is speaking the very word of God or not is in connection with the incarnation. Do you know that? How do you know if it's, if it's a spirit of truth or a spirit of? Of deception. You go back to the incarnation. This is what John, now, John is an apostle of Jesus, loved Jesus, loved the word of truth. This is what John wrote to a, a church later on. He says in, in John chapter 1, John chapter 4, verse 1, he says these words He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but here it comes, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. This is your calling, loved ones. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and all God's people say, oh man, it's true, they're still out there. This is how here, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is the incarnation, this is the birth of Jesus Christ. Every spirit, whether, whatever the form, whatever the social media platform, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus came in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So test the spirits. Test them even today as I preach to you. Do I defend the Incarnation? And the deity of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God. Do I defend before you this morning that there's only salvation in Jesus' name and outside of Jesus there is no salvation? Am I defending that you cannot even add one breath to your salvation on your own good works, that you need Jesus entirely? Paul says reject every kind of evil. That's every evil that speaks against the truth of who Jesus is. Reject it. That's the warning. That's a pretty hard warning. He moves from a warning now into a prayer. A prayer to be blameless for the day of Christ's coming. A beautiful prayer. He says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He moves from the Holy Spirit, and not in testing the Spirit, to holy living. And I think the connection is not that far. It's an easy connection to draw. That when we're speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's desire for God's people is not only that they come to a living faith in Jesus Christ, but ultimately that they become holy. That they become like Jesus. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to transform us, to conform us, to, to mold us into Christ-likeness. I like what John Piper says about listening to the work of the Holy Spirit, or understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He says this, he says, in choosing you, his purpose was your holiness. God's purpose in choosing you before the world began was your holiness, in predestining you, that's election, you, electing you, his purpose was your holiness. In dying for you on the cross of Calvary, his purpose was your holiness. In calling you, his purpose was your holiness. And, and we could add to that, in uh, preparing you for his second coming now, which is we wait with eager expectation, his purpose is your holiness. Holiness. As I was preparing this message this week, I asked myself, am I as passionate about my holiness as God is about my holiness? Have you ever asked that question? Am I as passionate about my holiness, living a holy life before a holy God, as God is about my holiness? And the second question I ask, because I realized I'm failing this test, is how do I become that passionate about my holiness? How do I sing this song and actually mean it? To take my heart and mold it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord, as we sang. How do I live that? Is that your passion? Paul says, this is a prayer. This is a prayer for the church. That's why you have this May. May the God of of peace make you holy. This is a prayer that we have for our church. This is a prayer that I have for you, loved ones, every one of you. But I want you to notice, it's important just to pull this apart just briefly now, What Paul says about this holiness, he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means make you holy through and through. Did you see that little phrase in there, God of peace? Did that catch you at all? This is the God of shalom who brings peace between us and him through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be united to our God and Father who is absolutely holy. That has to happen through a work of peace procured on the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1 makes this bold claim. Therefore it says, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me help you understand this a little bit. Before you can pursue a life of holiness and showing love and kindness to people, doing all these great things for people, before that can happen for those to be kind of thank offerings to God and, 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 and God be praised by those actions, which is what you want, Your holy life is not an end in itself. Your holy life, the way you treat others around you, the way you walk with integrity, the way you love, the way you you honor people, that holy life is what God desires of you. You understand that. But for that to happen in your life, and for God to be praised through your holy living, it has to be on a solid foundation of what? Of peace with God. That's the foundation upon which we build our holy lives. You do not have that. You do not have a life of holiness before God's throne. Can't accept it. Now, let me help you understand this a little bit. This week I was chatting. I'm not sure if he's here. I'm looking around, looking around. No, I don't think he is. Davin Post. If you're here, raise your hand. No, he's not. Maybe you're online. sat down with Davin Post. Davin Post, as you know, is working uh, with Tyler Bauman in Pandavita, Uh, Is that right? Somewhere like that. A city in Mexico. And um, he told me a story. He said, I have to take down this 20-year-old building. I'm like 20 years old. Like I'm like 2 times 20. Like that's not very old for a building. Here's a picture of the building. Now that building looks pretty nice, doesn't it? You're like, you gotta take that baby down? Yeah, I have to take that down. Why? Because there are cracks so big in the p- all those pillars that you can put your finger through. Walls are cracking. The whole building is going to crumble. They have kindergarten classes in that building. They're like, we've got to take these kids out. It's not safe. That building has to come down. Why? Because the architect had said, it's okay to build that building just on the ground. But on the ground in um is a lot of black soil. And the black soil is very movable, very movable. <laughs> Lost for words. And, and the building is, is, is constantly adjusting to that. And as it adjusts, it cracks and, for, and it's going to collapse. So Davin says, in some places, i got to go down five feet to, ste- to, to find a solid ground to build up from that to, to rebuild this building. So they're taking it down, getting a new architect. Hopefully they didn't pay him a lot. And, and they're going to build a new building. Why? Because if the foundation is not set, the building will come down. If your foundation in Jesus Christ is not firmly established in what he has done for you, your whole life will collapse on the day of days when you meet Jesus. When you say, but look at all the good things I've done. All the holy acts I've done. How I loved our community. Jesus says, I I don't even know you. It will all collapse. We build our life on the firm foundation of what Christ, what God has done th- to us, for us on, on Christ's behalf. He has given us his Son to reconcile us to, uh, to him so that we can build our foundation on that reality. The God of peace reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And what's very interesting, I realized when I did this text with Simeon's. is that Simeon understood that if we pull up um, Luke chapter 2 verse 29 we have these words Luke chapter 2 verse 29 now this is the blessing that he gives to Mary and Joseph he says sovereign Lord as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace you can dismiss me now in Shalom why well he goes on. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I get it. This this little baby here, it's gonna go to that thing over there called the cross. He's gonna die for my sins. He's gonna reconcile me to you so that I can be with you forevermore. I have peace with you in my heart. I'm ready to die in peace because when I get to heaven, you'll welcome me because of him. He's my salvation. So when he took him in his arms, like this is a picture, when he took little baby Jesus in his arms, he's, he's praying to God as well, thanking him for this gift, for this peace that he has with his father because of this baby named Jesus who would die for him. He held, you could say, the Prince of Peace in his arms. I can go now. I'm ready to go and so Paul says may the God of peace this God who reconciled you to his reconciled him to yourself or so reconciled you to him through Jesus Christ gave you this peace may this God now make you holy In Hebrews we have these two together make every effort to pursue peace peace with God and peace with others and be holy without holiness no one will see the Lord but Paul says, May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you, every fiber in your body, dedicated to Christ in holiness. Every fiber. He says, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Now this is not, as some theologians think, that the tripartite reality that we have a split between our, our soul and the spirit. I, I don't think we do. I don't think scripture defends that. What Paul is trying to say here in this text is that, is that this is a comprehensive reality, that your whole body, your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, everything that you do, everything that defines you is holy to the Lord. Kadosh Yahweh in Hebrew Holy to the Lord Just as when he says love with God love God with all your heart soul and mind he's saying now be holy in body soul and spirit and you say i want to live like that i want so much for my life to be a life of holiness before my god I want to honor God with every single every single thought, word, and action in my life. And yet I'll tell you this morning, I struggle. The devil is deceptive. We stand and then one day, the next day we fall, it seems. I hear confessions, I hear brokenness. I hear, I know your hearts. I know how many of you have fallen and shared share with me your fallenness and say and have told me I I am so desperate for Christ's forgiveness. At times you think it's impossible to live a holy life. How are you going to be ready to meet your Savior? Because without holiness you cannot meet him. I like how Paul ends. It's like Paul's a mind reader. He says at the end of the verse, he says, the one who calls, that's a daily calling, is faithful. And he will do it. Say, oh, thank you. You pursue holiness. You pursue holiness with every fiber in your body, but you know you need to know that the one who calls you, the one who's redeemed you, the one who's made peace with God for you, that one loves you. And by his spirit, he will continue to sanctify you so that when you fall, you feel the guilt and the shame and you come back to him and you pray a prayer of confession and he receives you again and you keep on living that life in pursuit of holiness because the one who's called you is, amen, is Jesus. And Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. He will not let you go. That brought me so much hope this morning. Well, this week. I didn't write the whole sermon this morning. That's the prayer. Here, we got to quickly close off here with a blessing. A warning, do not quench the spirit. In you. Do be blameless for the day of Christ. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Pursue holiness with every fiber in your body. Don't give up. Don't tire. And here's the blessing, the grace upon you, there's grace; his grace is upon you until you meet him in glory. Paul finishes with these words. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I don't have time to unpack all that for you this morning. But Paul says, pray for us as I have been praying for you. I, I, I love it when I know that you're praying for me as I preach the gospel to you on Sunday mornings praying for the leadership of this church as we are praying for you. Continue to do that. Paul says, greet one another with a sacred kiss. And you're like, hmm. Huh. It gets a bit awkward. I had one member text me and ask how was I going to deal with this. Well, I'm not going to demonstrate if that's what you're asking. No. Greeting each other with a holy kiss I think is best exegeted or understood through Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr lived a few, 50 years after Paul. And then was born 50 years after Paul. He was an early church father. Justin Martyr made a very good astute comment when he had sacred kiss, just because you're wondering what the sacred kiss is all about. So just a quick explanation. Justin Martyr said, um, when you come together, the men, the leaders would kiss the, the, the other leaders, the men in the church would kiss the men and the women would kiss the women, preferably normally on the cheek. But he made a really astute point. And this is where we draw the connection to today and what we're going to celebrate in just a few moments. He said, this sacred kiss is inseparably connected to Holy Communion. It's inseparably connected to Holy Communion. Why? Because the sacred kiss is a picture of unity. One of the things about living in a holy holy life before Christ is that together you are holy people. Together you are united with one common purpose for the glory of Christ, for the coming of his, his second coming, for the, for the life that you live together. And so in order to live that life together, we need to live a holy life, but united as one people. And, and, the, and the thought that Justin Martyr had was this, that if you're going to the table, you should be able to kiss your brother or kiss your sister in a, in a sacred kiss, basically saying, we are one. We're united in this common purpose in Christ's death for us, if you can't kiss your brother or your sister in a sacred kiss, then be reconciled to them first. Be reconciled. Start out the problem. Christ wants a church to be united. We want this church to be united. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now he finally says, in closing... May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's how we started. That's how he ends. That's how we start our services. That's how we end our service. We want God's grace, his beautiful, almighty, all-surpassing grace to be with you as you leave here every Sunday. Simeon got to meet this grace incarnate. He got to hold grace, you could say, in the person of Jesus us we receive that grace by faith as we look upon Christ as our Savior and realize that Christ is so gracious to us so kind so loving and that grace abounds to you this morning loved ones it abounds to you this morning when I was thought about writing this series I came up with a title Maybe I stole it from somebody else. I can't actually remember. But I came up with the title Unshakable Hope. Actually, I don't think I stole it. Actually I, actually I think this was genuine. <laughs> Genuinely Ian. <laughs> Unshakable Hope. It's the hope in the incarnate Christ who has shown us grace on the cross. And he comes to us this morning with the same grace to say, I am here. I am your only hope in life and in death. And as I close off, I want to ask you this morning the simple question. Have you put your hope in him? Like Simeon did. Like Paul did. grace like I have and some of you have many of you have you see in our present time God is shaking this world and what he's doing he's shaking off the feeble hope the weak hope that we have in the things of this world it's like going to the beach and shaking the towel shaking all the sand off the towel that's all the feeble hope that we have in this world The hope in OHIP, (laughs) money, status, power, your reputation, your retirement fund, your house, your car. It's all sand that will just be blown away. No, unshakable hope, it can't be shaken like that. Unshakable hope is in the person of Jesus Christ Who came in the flesh, who died for you, rose for you, ascended for you, is in heaven preparing a place for you, and it's an unshakable hope. And my question to you stands, loved ones. Have you put your hope firmly in him? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for Simeon, who just, who had this unshakable hope. He held Jesus. He realized that this is the author of his salvation, the one who saved him. And he said with all the confidence in the world, you can take me now. I'm ready to depart in peace. I'm ready to go with you, to be with you. Because I, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen Christ. God, it's my prayer, and I pray in the powerful name of the the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that you you will give that to us, that our lives will be secure in the same hope that you gave to Simeon, that when we look upon Christ through the eyes of faith as he's recorded for us in Scripture, that we will realize that our salvation is firmly in him. He is our only hope in life and in death. God, secure that hope in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.